All right, all right. Back again. I'm so excited with how the show was going. Hopefully you guys are hearing some amazing people. I mean, I love talking to everybody that we interview on the show. And I've spent years having conversations with so many people in the background. So it's nice to bring them to light through this podcast. And one of those people I'm looking forward to introducing you guys to is Amy Ashmore, who is our next guest on the show. Amy holds a PhD in kinesiology from the University of Texas at Austin. She is the author of Timing Resistance Training, Programming the Muscle Clock for Optimal Performance, which will be released in July through Human Kinetics. Uh, She also has done dozens of articles, blogs, and continuing education programs recognized by the National Strength and Conditioning Association, College Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association, American Council on Exercise, and the American College of Sports Medicine. Amy is a former sports sciences faculty at Florida State University and the former program director for sports sciences and management at the American Military University. Additionally, she is an author and continuing education provider located in good old Las Vegas, Nevada. It's just in Vegas. Always love going there. So without further ado, I introduce to you Amy Ashmore. Awesome. How are you doing today, Amy? Good. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a busy morning, a lot of training and meetings and stuff, but it's been really nice. And yourself? Good. We're just staying busy right now with the, um, all the marketing stuff and the promotional efforts uh, on the Yeah, book. definitely. Yeah, yeah just talking to a lot of people. I mean, um, it just kind of goes around the clock. Um Especially since we released in Europe and the Middle East, and so it just never, there's never like a time when somebody's not on. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean, I'm enjoying it. Um, I want to, after Aiden gets back in school, I want to get back out and start doing some uh, live events and stuff like that because. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, it gets kind of tiring to be you know, behind a computer all the time. And I understand now that's mainly how you sell um, yeah. books, of course, is they sell through social media marketing and that kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, and direct emails. and. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it gets, it gets a, little, a little old. I would imagine so. But I wanted to talk a little bit about your book, the, uh, you know, Time Resistance Training. And... I wanted to get an idea more about what was the kind of the genesis or beginning of the book. What was the motivation for coming up with it? Well, in 2015, um, a good friend of mine who I used to sit with, uh, top rank boxing passed away. And, um, you know, it dawned on me that during that time that, um, either I was going to write the book or I wasn't, and back in 1999, um, 2000, I think it was, I um, documented boxing training protocols here at Top Rank Boxing uh, with what was back then would amount to um, some very famous athletes. Um, Back then, we were, I was sitting in the office with um, 
my friend who managed the gym and we would watch through the glass window and uh, to me their training was fascinating it was so old school a lot of these trainers came up out of Mexico with these very 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 um, what we would think would be primitive training methods right facts they were they were light years ahead of us but interesting um, we were watching them and everything was on a time it was three to one ratio everything yeah. was done in that gym and there was no deviation from that. Um, they stuck with very basic movements and they stuck with them over long periods of time, you know, years at a time. They stuck with, you know, road work in the morning, sports specific training around 11 to one. And then they would do some strength work or maybe some bag work, uh, maybe mitt work yeah. later in the evening. And uh, so they really had this system down. And at the time, you know, we didn't realize it, but later the data would show that they're the most highly conditioned athletes in the world. And, and that made sense. But at that time, I put together, I documented about 16 weeks of their training program, and I submitted it to a competition that the Metarex Corporation was running at the time through Muscle and Fitness Magazine and other outlets um, for the world's best trainer. And, um, with some photos of a, of a guy that I was working with at the time and um, from Cuba. And we um, were called to L.A. and um, we placed, I believe, third out of 411 trainers at the time. Um, for me, it had just been more that I enjoyed their training methods. I enjoyed being in the gym with those guys. Um, a tremendous degree of respect for them. I mean, what they were doing, uh, of course, would forever be unparalleled in the rest of the world in terms of intensity. And uh, so I kept it in hard, back then we wrote everything down. I kept it in hard right. back. I kept right. it in a hard form. It was in a box. And um, I knew exactly where it was in my closet, in my office. And I pulled <laughs> it out and I looked at That's it. That's good. And I saw the timing connections. And um, then a um, couple of years, I you know, spent some time putting it together, thinking about what I wanted to do. And then a couple of years later, I met with Roger Earl, the acquisitions editor at Human Kinetics, and um, you know, told him what I wanted to do. And uh, he and I spent about nine months taking it from this, from this boxing training protocol to this idea that was strongly based in contemporary research and um, that became the book that is timing resistance training right. uh, so so yeah it was a long process but uh, yeah I think the main thing in life is as we get older I think we realize that the things that we don't do will be the things that we regret right so Certainly. in 20 yeah, so in 2015, I said, this is it. I'm, it's, it's do or die. You're either going to produce something of significance for the industry and that is meaningful to yourself or you're going to you know, stay in the, in the current job that you're in, which was a good job, but it definitely wasn't um, my passion. So I made the decision to leave that job and um, go at it and at first people thought it was of course completely out of my mind which i think that happens a lot would you not agree that when people uh 
take a yes. big risk, do something, you know, they leave something that people see as very safe. Yes. And yes. say, no, I'm going to take this huge risk. But I swear it was because you recognize at that point in time. And I think all of us will acknowledge this, especially as we get older. And as the people around you start to pass away, your mentors, the people you spend a lot of time with, or become you know, ill and unable to continue to follow their dreams. And that was another thing. I was seeing these, these boxers that you know, I had known at that time uh, really either dead or really struggling. So I'm like, I'm either going to put all this together and we're going to, we're going to pay homage to, to these people that played this role in my life and to the sport that really takes a, a beating. I mean, we just had Maxime die in the ring from a fight, you know, from a right. injury sustained in the ring last week or, you know, last Monday. I mean, it, it's a tough call, but you're either going to put it together, you're going to do it or you're not. And as you get older, you're going to realize you're either going to regret what you didn't do and you played it safe, are you going to take those risks? And they're not all going to pay off, but I guarantee you that on some level there will be a big payoff. And I think I'm not so. talking just financially. No, no. I, I think some people think about it that way, but I think, you know, playing it safe is the easy thing to do. I mean, you and I have talked before several times and, you know, I've had I had a very safe job in Las Vegas for years. Very, uh, I mean, it felt very safe and very comfortable, and uh, I could have done it forever as or as long as they would have had me. But uh, I think you know, as you do get older, you kind of feel this calling towards, you know, your your mortality starts kicking in. Yes. But also, you it really starts, and I think a lot of younger people don't recognize that because they're really young. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, that starts kicking in, and then you get this sense: Well, what do I want to do? How do I want to leave my legacy on this planet and the things that uh, I'm going to do? So I, I heavily identify with that for sure. Yeah. So that that's how it got started, and um, no, and and then I think too what happens when you really start following your passion and your dreams, the world responds positively. Yeah. Um. You know. I've gone back to top rank and sat with some of these guys. I mean, one of the my big friends over there uh, used to work the Ali fights. And, you know, so these guys have been around for a long time. And, right. you know, when you go, I think, back to what you're supposed to be doing, to something that you really feel passionate about, the world responds positively and they support you. Um, I've mm. been so grateful for all the support that I've gotten from people over the past few years since I decided, you know, to do this. I mean, everyone at Human Kinetics has just been magnificent. My wonderful friends at the American Council on Exercise have continued uh, to support me. That's been like a 15-year relationship. And during the darkest times when, you know, things were really tough, it was, you know, Ace who reached out and said, hey, you want to do this or that or, you know. Yeah. And what you find is, I think you find out, you find out two things. You find out um, what you're really made of and you find out um, who truly supports you. And I think in business, you stick with the people who truly support you. Totally agree. Totally mm-hmm. agree. And I do think that that... It's a part of as you age and get older, you start really seeing who's a, who wants to be a part of your life and, and who's not going to be consistently a part of that over time. Or in it for the, you know, or in it just because they feel like they can get something right now. Yeah, yeah, some gain, a pretty quick gain out of that, mm-hmm. you know. 
So I know, you know, and you see that as well. But um, yeah, so that was how the you know that's the the conception of the idea basically was almost twenty years ago, and then the the science uh, matured to support it, and it was just putting you know ideas together and um, feeling passionately about something. I like old school gems. I'm a right you know old school big box gem person. Um, the more rugged, the better in my in my world. So, yeah. uh, you know, pay homage to where you came from and the people who helped you get there and uh, be genuine about who you are. I think that's another thing that um, so many of my students uh, at the college level seem to ask me questions that boil down to who am I mm -hmm. and what can I do to make money versus uh, this is discovering who they are and what who their you know what their niche will be. Well, it's interesting. I remember when we were talking in Las Vegas about you know students and especially in kinesiology and health and human performance. Where do they go from the college level? You know, yeah. and and you had mentioned that there's really no career path, long term mm -hmm. career path for students. So there's a lot of almost this existential questioning because there's really nothing set for them. Mm -hmm going through it no and you know the programs that are trying to sell exercise science as a pre-med are are misnomers it's right it's, it that doesn't work I, a friend of mine like i believe i told you that runs a large statewide health sciences university level program says it's one in one thousand out of xi programs that go into medical school um you know pt is an option, but um, again, I don't think most get into exercise science because PT or OT, which are obviously great career choices, right. but I don't think that that's necessarily the right track. It can be, but it's not for everyone. I think that a lot of the exercise science students get into exercise science because they actually like exercise science, but the problem right. is, is that, like you said, there's no um, career route. There's no path to credentialing, licensing like there is in athletic training, physical therapy, even massage therapy is way more right. regulated. Um, so there's, there's truly no career path uh, within fitness, it's about health and fitness, and um, within strength and conditioning. So um, the people who are successful are the people who've been in the gym. So when my students at Florida State, when I was just doing a visiting professorship over there last year, would ask me, well, what's your advice? I would say, get in the gym and stay in the gym. Right. And they would look at me like I had three heads. Well, you know, a lot of that I'm basing on my own experiences that my greatest yields have been from the times I spent in the gym, hence the book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yes. Came out of the gym. <laughs> so now it's on a global scale. So yeah, yeah. That, that would be like a personal experience there. Sure. Um, the other thing is I'll get, you know, a lot of people who buy my content will tell me, um, oh, I feel like you're one of the most um, uh, on the ground or in the loop or something to that degree. Yeah. Pro, and I'm like, because I've spent 30 years inside gyms, not necessarily in academics. So I tell my students, you got to get in the gym and stay there because there's two things that's, um, you know, you hear 
the the guys who own this performance center are saying that uh, essentially what we do in here is extremely different from what you learned and it's going to take you a while mm-hmm. to, to figure out what we do on a daily basis and how we achieve performance goals in reality right here right now then you know um on the other i lot kind of lost my train of thought but you have uh oh the business end so then on the other end the continuum being in the gym you have like the Mayweathers, who we started all together here in, in 1999 in Vegas, um, same gyms were all came at the same time. Um, you look at that Floyd Mayweather Sr. at the time was uh, selling training for $20 an hour to his credit. He was he was hustling. He was on the gym floor. He was selling. Well, they took three punches essentially and turned it into a billion dollar a night industry so they did that by staying in the gyms you've got roger you've got floyd they have a brother i can't remember off the top of my jeff um floyd uh, jr obviously they've stayed in the gyms practicing what their profession and that's the the, probably the example in the sporting world of in 1999 i'm i'm hustling for 20 bucks an hour and roger was doing the same thing i'm hustling we were doing it in nevada partners i'm, I'm hustling for 20 dollars an hour and then you turn around and you look 20 years later these guys have stayed in the gym they've stayed true to their craft they haven't deviated they've stayed focused and they turned that into when junior fought at the time when he was fighting a billion dollars would move down the las vegas strip so and most of that coming their way so when you look and what's he the highest paid athlete in the world now when you look at that i mean the answer to success in our industry unfortunately is not is not academics right now so when you say so what's the mistake you think that say people coming out of the business or even that are in the business a fitness business what are they doing when they're not in the gym? What's the mistake you think they're making when they're not consistently being in the craft? Well, I think the first mistake, whether you're in the gym or you're not in the gym, is something I put a, a LinkedIn thing up yesterday. It's gotten like 1,300 views already. It's about the most annoying habits in the fitness industry. Well, it's it's that I'm an Instagram Insta expert, and I'm t- photographing and videoing myself in the gym. It's focusing on yourself and saying, mm. I like fitness. I look great. This is my profession. No, 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 no. If you look, let's say Floyd Jr. or the Mayweathers, it wasn't Floyd Sr. or Roger who made it all about themselves as trainers. They made it about Floyd Jr. and other right. Right. their success and that was Floyd Sr.'s reason for success is back in the day he was in the gym all day every day at night at unknown fights on Saturday nights here in Vegas with unknown fighters he was working he was always in the ring in the gym at the arena with a fighter he was all it wasn't oh I'm the best trainer in the world blah 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 right, blah right. blah he was actually putting his his skill where his uh, mouth was and putting the time into the into the athletes so you got to be willing to help others so the biggest mistake in the fitness industry is aren't i great looking don't right. you want to train with me no i don't <laughs> and so the the you know focusing like in my gym here in vegas I, you can't hardly get move around without being in somebody's 
somebody's video, picture right? Or, or something video picture, of yeah. themselves. And it's like, you know, that's, that's a huge disconnect in the industry is, you know, if you don't go into physical therapy to rehab yourself. Right. Totally agree. You don't become a surgeon to, to operate on yourself. So fitness has to be about helping others. And right now it's more about, I like doing this. Come do it with me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that whole, con I like the concept of staying in the gym. I mean, you could take that and make it kind of a, a larger conceptual thing of like, hey, whatever version of your gym that means for a gym, be in it, do it regularly. I mean, I used to always tell trainers over the years, I'm like, you got it. You have to train to get better at training. You got to, you got to be doing it regularly to sharpen the sword and you have to focus on that. You got to put in the work in order to become better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's this idea that if I can train myself, that I can train others. No coaching your other persons and training yourself are two completely different skill of sets. Of course. And I, totally. and so I, that's the number, the number one problem is I, I like fitness, so I'm going to turn it into a career. No, um, you like the fitness lifestyle and that's great, but to cultivate it into a business, you have to be helping others. You have to have something to offer others as value. And if you don't have a way to offer value, you have a problem. So how do those two things come together? The actual performance centers, fitness facilities, the actual practice of business practice of fitness and academia. How, what are some ways those things can come together so there's a, a better career path or people see it as that? Well, I don't know how to change academics. Um, and I, I, I don't, with my knowledge of academic administration and inner workings, I, I don't think you're necessarily going to see big changes in academic programs because they the focus is on money generators. So the focus is on research. Right. Okay? Right. So where, you know, career outcomes is not necessarily the number one priority, uh, unless it is programs that in and of themselves generate money like medicine, law, business schools, where people will pay their own money to go because they're going to end up with a career. Um, so where exercise science is concerned, the money generator, of course, is the research, especially where they compare with um, medical schools for muscle myology labs, that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, all pro most exercise science programs over the years have tried to include entrepreneurship, business courses, um, sales, marketing, those types of things that, believe it or not, the students typically are not that interested. And I think part of it is <laughs> being naive to the fact that once you get out of an exercise science program, it is only business. And you look, the most successful people in fitness are business people. They're not fitness people. Mm. As the students, they're, they're thinking, hey, man, I love to work out. I just want to work out and train people. They're not yeah. thinking about the business element and how critical it is to learn that entrepreneurial aspect. Yeah, and, if you're, and I tell them, you know, if you're going to, like, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with my students at Florida State because, you know, you know, there's, there's some ethical and moral dilemmas on my part when I go into a university because I know, I know the reality. 
You know, come right. out, huge Division One A program. And there's going to be a huge financial and time investment. Uh, most of these are good kids. They want to do well. They're trying. And reality is uh, there's going to be this black hole you're just kind of dropped off into, into this mm. abyss. And, you know, so I try to talk to students about, yes, this absolute end business goal that you're going to have to learn salesmanship. You're going to have to learn marketing um, in order to be successful in an unregulated industry. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that students don't understand is that fitness and strength and conditioning are unregulated industries. Yes. So I sure. can spend a Saturday getting a certificate and open a, a gym. And if it's successful because I'm a great businessman, I'm a great salesman, kudos to you. That's who's successful in sports performance, not the person who necessarily put the time in. But you're right. They want, they think, well, I'm going to study this this uh, content and then I'm be rewarded for it. No, the only way that I've been successful with this content is um, selling it or taking original research and turning that into to usable content for people out practicing as strength and conditioning coaches, fitness pros, even physical therapists now. Um, but that skill set takes a long time to develop that reputation to get people to buy your content takes a long right. time to uh develop and creating that value see i create value in content and that's where that bottom line of creating value is where students and they're young they they haven't gotten that message yet so what happens is they're they're just dropped with all this content knowledge into this right. right and you know most fitness jobs are below the poverty level or are close to it because they're sales jobs right so if you get a fitness director job it's going to pay you very little and you have to supplement it through sales Yeah, most definitely. Do you think, though, too, I don't, I'm not sure how you think about this, but I think, like, you're unique. Like, you're a professor who is actually in the gym for a long time. And You'd rather be in students. the gym. Right. Let me clarify that. I want to always be sure that my audience knows I would rather be in the gym. Right. But I don't go, think a lot of professors are in the gym, though, when no, they're teaching this. They don't all. have that experience no. that you have. No. No. So they they're teaching know. concepts and theories and hormone replacement, no idea, yeah. they don't know how it actually ap applies in the actual setting that those people might no, be in. Yeah, they have no idea, none whatsoever. Um, no, I mean, for me, I, I would far and away rather be in a gym. I mean, the happiest time of my life was when we did spend those years in the boxing gyms, and we did that all day, every day, for many, many, many years. Um, I had a boxing gym in my house. Right. Um, so, and, and those are really, we didn't have AC here in Vegas. <laughs> we were, yeah, I mean, we were intense. And, but it was that being in that gym, being in that serious training environment, being it, it being rustic, it being primitive, it being very simple, it being very um, 
easily quantified movements with defendants have performance results. I mean, and, you know, watching these super old school trainers, they, they were fascinating. And so for me, absolutely, uh, being in the gym is where I would rather be than anywhere in the world. Um, yeah. So I go into academics more, um, I would say, to share my knowledge with students about the obstacles they're going to be facing and help them to gain some knowledge and um, insight into to what this industry is really like. Because I know, like you said, they're they're not getting it. So what's the so you know kind of continuing on with the book? So what's the application? Kind of the highlights, the application of the book to people in the fitness industry. I mean, there's well, you know the the timing aspect of it, obviously, but there's aspects about undertraining and recovery performance. Well, What's the the bottom line is when it comes to training, you've got you got to look at everything on a 24 hour schedule. Your body's on a 24 hour schedule. You have most tissues in your body have their own internal clocks and this book we focused on muscle clocks for obvious reasons um but in order to truly get the most out of performance and health um because there are significant health applications here that go beyond the scope of my book is you must communicate the right cues to those clocks about the outcomes that you expect. And when you stay on a 24 hour schedule, for example, and you're training at the same day time each day, you're taking intermittent rest, which is rest every other day or no more than two days a week in right. the case of athletes, you're staying on that 24 hour schedule so when in the book we look at long-term programming in terms of you know days then we look at if you're training athletes or you're in fitness and you're doing concurrent and combined training we look mm -hmm. at specific time recommendations for like six hours you have to take an absolute minimum of three but six is really what you need say between doing weight training and endurance exercise right. um we also look at timing within sessions and we look at the new research on um, interset training. Mm. Um, so our interset rest periods, like taking the efficacy that is now emerging of treating each repetition as its own event, which is not novel. We go back right, to the right. 70s and motor behavior on that. But what we now know is that redistributed rest or say taking 10 to 60 seconds depending on intensity between each rep is a more efficient and long-term better way to train than say three sets of 10. Right. Um, so it's things like that where we we talk about paired training. So we talk about which exercises um, pair well together mechanically mm -hmm. uh, and muscle activation wise that then pair well with these um, timing protocols that then send the right signals to your muscles so that they learn to anticipate when training occurs. I mean, we know in racehorses that when they train on the same time at the same time every day, 
30 minutes before their scheduled training, the physiological mechanisms associated with um, muscle performance outcomes click on. So, wow. we're yeah, we're teaching muscles to think and anticipate. They, they have this capability, but when you get into this confusion mindset where you're going to do everything in the world and one <laughs> set here and run over <laughs> here and you're maybe going to train at 4 yeah. today and one, 8 a.m. tomorrow, your muscles, you're just not going to get anything out of that. <laughs> That's and, so commonplace these days. <laughs> yeah, you just you're all over the place. You don't know what you're doing. The muscles are like, what do you want from me? And then we talk a lot yeah. about, you know, the molecular basis of muscle confusion that actually when I do combined training, so I want to do 20 minutes of, of on the treadmill and then 20 minutes of resistance training and 20 minutes of flexibility. Okay, that's pretty typical. It's, it's good in a general fitness environment. Uh if you really want performance outcomes, just stop it right now. That's insane. Right, exactly. Happens, yeah, at a molecular level, is the muscles don't know that the, out, the physiological mechanisms associated with each are different. So the body doesn't, doesn't know, well, which one do you want me to do? Okay, well, you know what? My default setting is endurance. Mm -hmm. So that's why strength gains suffer. And you'll say, people will say, oh, well, I, I, I never, my body never seems to change in general fitness environments. Right, right. right. Of course. That's why. That, of course. You're not gaining muscle mass because your body just can't figure it out. What do you want? So the default setting in your muscles and your muscle clocks is endurance. They're going to, because endurance is more associated with survival than mass and strength. Right. And people al always default to endurance generally in gyms, you know, just going, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just yep. going to do some cardiovascular based exercise, you know. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it's all uh, interworked in terms of, uh, yeah, psychology or, or evolutionary psychology. You're right. Like, that's, you know, we were born to roam, so we go back to very basic movement patterns like walking and jogging right. on the treadmill, or that's the easiest thing for us to do, and, and that's great. I mean, it's associated clearly with fitness outcomes and general health outcomes. Right but not so much with performance outcomes. So in this particular book, because it did derive from you know, serious athletic and training, uh, athletic training environments, um, and also it was the direction that HK wanted to go, we, it, it's, that book is geared towards performance outcomes right? more than general fitness outcomes. But I think the work is better geared towards serious athletes and strength and conditioning coaches it, itself than say um, general fitness, which certainly can borrow from this, mm. but um, you, you, people with serious performance outcomes are gonna be more interested in teaching muscles to think and anticipate. They're going to be more concerned about uh, overtraining. They're going to be more concerned about muscle strength and power than um, more general fitness environments. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's fascinating because it's, um, you know, I, I learned so much of this, the exercise science um, through my education and my doctorate and the whole thing, you know, we've had conversations and it's, it's just interesting, you know, providing the science, it's kind of like whenever I'm in a gym and I see just your general exercise are working out. And I always pointed out to my wife, if she's with me, I said, look at that progression. It makes no sense. You're running on a treadmill and then you're going to go jump off and go do squats and then lunges. And then you're going to go do another. I'm like, there's, this doesn't make sense mechanically. 
on it, no. you know? It's just put throwing a bunch of shit together, you know? Yeah, and, and the body doesn't know how to respond. I mean, the, the example I, I always use in the real world is if you go, you're like, you've got your yoga mat, you're ready. Mm-hmm. And you step into the gym, to the group fitness room, and it's completely set up with spin cycles, you're confused. <laughs> you're like, I thought this was a... A yoga class. I thought it was a yoga. I'm ready. I'm. I'm. My, I'm. My mindset. I'm ready for yoga. Spin is not on my agenda today. Well, your muscles are the same way. If the, if you're delivering multiple cues, they get confused. They're like, I don't know what you want from me. Right. I, I don't know if you want endurance outcomes. I don't know if you want strength outcomes. When you talk about mechanics and progression. You know, you're not sticking. If you're not sticking with similar joint actions, you're not working the muscles in the same in similar mm-hmm. ways. So they don't know what you want, and they essentially shut down. Versus like having this internal molecular war. Right. It makes complete perfect sense. What's also yeah. interesting, how like to me, it's always how. Then I say, man, this is why people need guidance. They need real guidance, and not guidance from Instagram. Not that. No. And, you know, people are not pictures of someone super hot. Yeah. Doing an exercise. What does that what does that do for anyone? Right. It's nice to look at. But let's be real. I mean, is is that really helping anyone? I totally agree. I was just I had someone else on my podcast not too long ago. and We were just discussing that. And I said, how many people does it actually really help? Maybe. I don't know. I think it's a super tiny percentage if it does that at all. But I think it's not. I said these people are not in the same industry as I'm in. We're, we're no. not in the same business. So I like to I put would that say out they're there. more in the physique market industry. Right, right. That they're in the competitions and um, the modeling, which is right. still a very small, small, small group of people that will see a, you know, a legitimate business in that. Um, so the, I think that's the market that they're trying to get into. And perhaps we all go through that phase when we're young, but I right. don't think it's a good long-term strategy. I don't either. I don't think it's very sustainable. And I think the folks you're seeing on those pages and stuff, uh, you know, check back in 10, 15 years, it's not what they're going to be doing more than likely, you know, it's, Things are going to change. Life changes, circumstances. It's and that's my problem with the fitness business is, it's very difficult to have a sustainable long-term career. I've been very fortunate to have that, but I've kind of evolved with it over the time. Yes, as it's changed, change. uh-huh. you have to change in the business a lot over time in order to stay in it. Well, just look at the example of like when I started. You know, the it was Gold's Gems, powerhouse gems. I mean, I started right. with Gold's Gem. These were, this is where you went. You were very serious. These were big box gyms. They were intimidating places. You know, I loved it from the word go, but I know not everyone else does. That was the industry at that time, the muscle and fitness market. That was, that was our industry at that time. Now you've got those have kind of seen their day. You've seen uh, lifetime come in 24 hour transition significantly. But mainly, the big business now is in the boutique. Right. So, you know, in the niche markets. And that's what I also tell my students. you got to find that niche. And the industry is monstrous. And finding that niche is, is very difficult. 
to find that razor sharp focus of who you are in a very, very, very crowded field. Very crowded. You know, it's it's the rise of the the soul cycles, you know, the um, Pelotons and, you know, now you just, it's just fitness evolves. So especially now with technology, it's evolving at a very rapid rate and it's very difficult to figure out, you know, do I want to be a spin instructor the rest of my life, you know? And or like, do I, and you yeah. know, and, and really, and then the next thing is, you know, probably not, but do I, do I like it enough that I want to own the studio? Right. Right. And, you know, your orange theories. Yeah. You have all your more, um, like, apartment model gyms, like Anytime Fitness, that are very small. They're very community-based. Yeah. Uh, those have done very well. Snap, Planet Fitness. Um, you know, but again, for me, I always go back. I like the big boxes. But um, you also, then you have your sports performance centers, which out here in Vegas it's just exploding. It's accelerating big time. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to, so who's your, I tell students, who's your population? Who are you targeting? Yeah. I mean, do you want to work with um, athletes, which they most say yes until I think they realize throughout <laughs> competitive that is. And then, you know, a lot of people then got to get turned off to that because it's such a, yeah. that market's really different from general fitness or even, you know, weekend warriors, uh, serious athletes or, you know, recreational athletes. Then yeah. you get to, you know, general fitness to just, you know, the average people who, who want to exercise, which is where the most of the market base is. Right. And then for you to get into active aging markets, those types of things. And then within that, where where do you fall? What's your your preferred yeah. mode of training? I mean, people don't come to me for corrective exercise. Right. I think so, it's so difficult if somebody's, you know, 22 years old and you're saying, hey, this, there, here's this crowded market. Where do you fit you in on what? this? You know? But you know what? When I look back, you talk about being 22. When I look back... It's, I'm exactly where I was when I was 22. It was funny you mentioned that. I, I thought about that. I thought about that when you said it. I really did. And I think, what am I doing now? And I'm, I'm training people on a regular basis, which is what I started doing in the business. And I feel I'm a natural trainer. Uh, you know, I, I like training pretty much very type A, more aggressive human beings, generally speaking. Um, and I started out training those type of people, and I'm doing that again at this time in my career while having yep. my other management company. But still, on a daily basis, I'm doing what I started doing 20 years ago. Yep. And you're right. It's, you're just paying. you got to pay attention. And I think the other thing, Amy, is accepting that that's who you are. Yeah. Even though you may think you should be doing something or else. Or it's not you may think other people are telling you because... That's true. I too. had an academic aptitude for the content, and actually, I my undergraduate degree is in psychology, but I was spending all my time in a local Gold's gym, and it was a psychology professor who told me I should go to graduate school and exercise science. Hmm. <laughs> right. Go talk to this lady, and she's like. Oh, okay. And that's how I got in my first master's program. And then it was the aptitude that I showed for the content and the love of the discipline. That was probably that emerging love of the discipline. 
Right. And then that's how I got in to the University of Texas, um, which I have, when I look back, I have to say, you know what? Um, really, truly who I was was that gym rat hanging out in Gold's Gym. I, what I really wanted to right. do, what I really wanted to do, and way back in the day when I was first started in boxing, is I looked to open up a boxing gym, a sports mm. performance center out here in the late 90s. Or yeah. early 2000. Well, what are you putting your it. effort towards? Yeah. That's really who I am. And although I've had tremendous academic success, um, it came at a price of knowing that is not who I am and yeah. not what I want out of life. So all hail the big box gyms, all <laughs> hail the gym rats out there. <laughs> you got to go towards what girls, you love. The, on yeah. the ATC floors and the sports performance centers and the rugged, gritty alleyway gyms. The ones down in the gyms we used to hang out down in Mexico. I mean, that's, right. that's who I am. And I say that's you. all yeah. those people. Well, that's funny. Is I think, you know, now thinking about it, too, is like when you're talking to students, it says, where, where do you feel pushed towards? Where do you, where's your effort at? Like, where are you hanging out right now in terms of in your fitness? What are you doing most often related to that? And if you're in one of those gyms or you're in some high-end gym or you're in, you love spin, you just always, whatever it is, listen to where you want to be, where you, you got to pay attention. I think that's the right way. Pay attention to where you're putting your effort. And I think we do that with kids a lot. We say, oh, we want the kids to grow up to be this or that. And then we see where they're putting their effort towards maybe for future professions. And if it doesn't fit what the parents want, then you know, you st it's just it becomes a weird thing. This mashup of mm -hmm. this crisis that parents say, I want you to do something where you make all this money and stuff. And the kid goes, I just love painting all the time. I love it, you know, and put it in their efforts. So it's it's interesting. It's just paying attention where you think you fit in the field. And generally, it's funny. You can come back to it. I know I have. It seems like mm -hmm. that's you're a big mantra for you, yeah, as well. Yeah, I did. I, you know, after all these years, I said, you know what? That's who I am. It's what I love. That's what makes me happy. That's where I can make a difference. That's where I can leave a mark. And um, at some point, you reach a point in your career and your life where, for me, I finally said, um, although this may be prestigious to other people and impressive to other people, it is not to me. I would mm. rather be back in the gyms. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very powerful statement to say that. And that, that takes, you know, there's a lot of other people will say, hey, Amy, you've done so much in your career. You look at you, you've got your doctorate and all these different publications and things. And, you know, for you to say, well, that's great that you like it, but maybe it's probably not where I want to be. Where, no. where I'm going to be landing. I just want to be in a dirty gym. And I identify with that. I grew up in military gyms, yeah. which are oh, yeah. not nice at no, all. My, my, my military students, my favorite part Man. of the AMU job when I, when I ran that program is I would have them develop training programs. Yeah. And I would get the coolest photos in the world of our Air Force personnel training in barracks like over in Afghanistan, yeah. Iraq. And it was the, some of the most gorgeous just most moving photos I have ever seen in my life. Yeah.
and they had so little. But if you looked at the physiques, they would turn out. Oh my gosh! You know, it's. I remember my dad was in the military for 28 years, and I I started training when I was probably 14 or 15, and but I was training in like beat up military gyms. I'm talking like super hot, grungy, dirty. And it was just about the work, man. It was just about work. And I, I have, in Fort Belvoir in Virginia, I remember that really when I got into it and just the nastiness, the grittiness. And the everybody realness. was just, the realness. Everybody was yeah. just working. And I just and think nobody's it really. nobody's getting their fingernails done. And no, 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 no. Away from you while you're trying to work out. That's, that scene, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I not for me. You're not feeling, I'm not feeling it either. I'm, I, to this day, I'm about the work. I come in, I'm all about the work. I'm not trying to be friendly with anybody. I probably seem very standoffish. But yeah, I, me too. I, Nobody yeah. in my home gym knows anything about what I do. No. Nothing. No, same thing with me. And I train, I'm just, I'm in there. I'm all about that work completely. I'm in the zone. I mean, it's, it's about, it is, it's truly about the weight, the environment, the movements. Yes. The psychological outcomes. Mm. That's what it's about. Mm. You're speaking my language right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, oh, let's get in and let's talk. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to the fitness world was the earbuds and all those kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> you can put those in yep. and you don't have to talk to anyone. And right. everybody's on the same page now in that regard. That's so true. I, yeah, in my ATC, there is not one person. Well, there's a couple, but they, we don't, I don't, they, it's just, hey, whatever, you know, passing by. Yeah, and yeah. There's a couple of people who know what I do, but these are like one of them's a, an old, um, gosh, he's got one of those Super Bowl tattoos on his neck. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're, they're old school athletes. They're old school, like they yeah. know, They all kind of like, they don't want to be bothered either, and they just, you know, nod or something. Like, we know each other. Yeah, exactly. Jim. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I've seen each other outside, so somebody might know a little bit, but when I go in, in the gym, that's my time, my world. That's right. Totally. And you're about the work. Like you said, you're about the movement, about the feeling of it, the psychological outcome. You know, for me, it's also, it's the preparation before I get there. Like, I always tell people, I'm like, don't mess with me like a good half an hour before I start. And the solidarity. The, the solid, solid, yes, the solidarity. The, uh-huh. the And you know what? That's what attracted me in, in the mid-90s to the fighters was I saw them uh, mm. running the stadium at the University of Texas. My office was inside yes. the University of Texas Stadium, and they were training a bunch of, um, at that time, there was some some Cuban guys that they had uh, that had defected off uh, the team, and they were training those guys on the stadium. And they were going, you know, the way they're just that solidarity and that seriousness they had. Yes. And I remember one of the football coaches or something laughing when I was standing out there watching him. He's like, "God, I wish I could get my team to train like that." Because they were just up and down the whole stadium, but that that and then when we came out here to Vegas, and you would see that solidarity and that road work when those guys would get out on the road yeah. here in Vegas at four thirty in the morning, and the hoods, and they were alone, and it was just it was just absolutely fascinating. I so think I that's think, the kind of misnomer huh? that I think it's the kind of the misnomer that like. Um, you know, people have about Floyd Mayweather and they see all the, the external stuff and the talking when he was fighting, but they didn't, 
they didn't see the tremendous level of work ethic that he has. And like, that's um, the part know, I it, think it, it's incredible, true. legendary. Yeah, and you know, and they're actually, they're very respectful, they're very quiet actually. You know, but they have to, like any business, we're talking about marketing. We're, right. It goes back to what we're telling these kids in school. It's all about marketing and self-promotion. It's about creating right. value. You know, the Mayweathers are great at marketing themselves and creating entertainment value. If not, right. they're not going to sell pay-per-view tickets. Um, right. But it is. Those guys, I mean, you look at Pacquiao the same way. I mean, yeah. Thing as well. These guys... They train seriously. Like one of the most uh, quiet persons that I've ever come in contact with back in, in the gyms was Lennox Lewis. Yeah. When I came yeah. meeting him in top rank and looking up at him, he's this beastly guy. He's huge. He's enormous. But he was so quiet and so dignified. And that's the way just so respectful when he said hello. I, I just will never forget that. For some reason, that stands out. But also because he was so giant. But all of those guys who exactly. were the gyms. The gyms, were, the boxing gyms were one of the most controlled, dignified places I've ever been. There, were, there was never, you know, all this carrying on. But you have to then create entertainment value. And that's when they would. There were special days that the media is brought in. And then now you turn it up. But it's not a daily thing. Yeah, I mean, totally you're not going to do... Like, you know, you're in training. These guys are training, let's say, an average of five to six hours a day. Right. All right. right. You don't. Yes. That's where all your energy is going. Wow. That's amazing. You know, Amy, you, you're just always, I love talking to you. You have this well, wealth of information. I love talking to you too. You're yeah. so sweet. Well, thank you. Thank you. You have all this great and information. And I realize respect about you is you do try, try to help other people. Course. And for that, sure. I, I truly hope that other people recognize that and that you are rewarded for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is one way the you know, podcast, I know that, like, like I said, you've done a lot of amazing things, but I, you know, I think your book and, you know, everything about it is, is awesome and I want to help promote it and get it out there. And, uh, you know, I'm just one person, but it's, I think it's important to help other people. So I want you know, the audience out there, Amy's audience, my audience, anybody to make sure you support her. I mean, if you listen to this, you're going to hear, you're hearing amazing things and the book's going to just corroborate that. So Amy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Darian, for inviting me. And, um, yes, as friends, we will stay in touch otherwise. For sure. And, um, yes, thank you so much. No problem. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.